0: I'm Amber. Welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today we have Jess Reed with us. She is a self-care keto coach. Welcome, Jess.
1: Thank you so much, Amber. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm super excited. Our subject is going to be emotional eating, which I think is a huge, huge, huge thing. So let's get started. I want to hear a little bit
1: about your background. Tell us your story. How did you get to where you are now? Yeah. Well, honestly, my story is kind of similar to your story. Um, I was checking out your bio on your website and I was like, oh, it's, it's uncanny. And I'm sure it's actually probably a lot of people's stories, but I struggled with weight ever since I was a little girl. Um, and, you know, basically I was raised in the 1980s. Everything was all about um, low fat and counting your calories and all of those things. Um, but yeah, pretty much since the age of maybe I'd say six or seven years old. I was a little bit overweight. Um it became even more pronounced I think to my parents and to others because I am a twin. And I have a fraternal wow. twin sister who was the quote unquote tall skinny one and I was the short fat one. And people say this to you as a child. Wow, nice. <laughs> so you can imagine, you know, I know your story is a little bit similar like people would just mm-hmm. say it, you know, like yeah. You're chubby or you're fat or mm-hmm. you know, chubby little cheeks, or uh, whatever it is that they think that they're saying, and it just scars you as a child. Um, so basically I was overweight throughout my childhood. Um, none of the interventions that my mom tried to help me with worked, of course. She was trying to have me eat pretzels instead of eat chips and have me eat nonfat frozen yogurt instead of eat full-fat ice cream or whatever it might be. Um, didn't really work. When I hit puberty, I kind of went into a disordered relationship with food where I was trying to restrict and eat as little as possible. Um, My mom taught me how to count calories. So that's what I tried to do. And it, it did work. I, I lost the quote unquote baby weight and I was at a normal weight by the time I was 14 years old. But for my entire life after that, I constantly and always saw myself as overweight. I definitely struggled with body dysmorphia. I can't even tell you how many clients I talk to resonate with me on this, but you look back at photos of yourself when you thought you were fat and you're like, uh, what the hell is my problem? I was so oh, cute. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so yeah, I just always saw myself as overweight. Um, fast forward, probably um, in my mid twenties, I went through a pretty um, traumatic situation and I gained about 40 pounds in the course of a year. Mm. So now I truly was overweight. I wasn't at a normal weight, just seeing myself as overweight. I truly was overweight. And I found myself really struggling with depression. Um, I was literally hiding out from my life, turning down invitations. I know you, you, you said basically the same thing, like not wanting to leave your Mm -hmm. house whenever you'd have something to do, like even go to church or something like that, trying on six or seven different outfits, falling into a puddle of tears, wanting to not go canceling plans, Walking by the mirror and like, who is that? Like, not even recognizing who you are, feeling like an alien stuck in your own body. Looking back, I'm really grateful for that experience because it it did really help me to be able to resonate with my clients. And I always say, you know, it's really not about just getting into a smaller body or being skinny or whatever it is that you think that you want right now. It's about no longer hiding out from your life. And it's about having the confidence and the energy to show up as the person that you really want to be and go after all the dreams that you really do have in your heart. Cause I was passing up so many opportunities, even things at work. Like it really robs you of so much in your life, um, to just struggle with body image and with food and with weight. So that's a little bit about, um, my story up until I found keto. Um, I wanted to lose 10 pounds as fast as possible early November, 2013, literally three weeks before Thanksgiving. And I approached the Atkins diet in a disordered way, the same way that I approach any other quote unquote fad diet I just wanted to lose weight as quickly as possible. And Atkins was something that I had seen my mom do when I was a teenager to drop five pounds in a week and then go back to pizza on the weekends. And so I was like, I know this works and it works fast. I I didn't actually think it was healthy and didn't care, but I just did it. And sure enough, I I did lose the weight that I was looking for. I lost about 10 pounds within um, the first two weeks. But what I did not expect was how amazing I felt. And yes, I went through the keto flu and I went through that transition and everything. I felt God awful for the first five days, knew nothing about anything about electrolytes or anything like that. Um, Cause again, this was in 2013, but once I got through that hump, it was like an incredible transformation. I felt like I had found the magic pill or like the fountain of youth. And I'm like, why do people not know about this? Because I felt food freedom for the very first time. Like I felt fully satiated yes. by the food that I was eating. Prior to this, I would eat a high carb dinner and then within mm-hmm. an hour, want a snack. I would want something sweet, mm-hmm. then salty, then sweet, then salty. And I would just gorge myself and feel so bloated and distended and full of shame vowing to never you know, do that again. I'm going to fast all day tomorrow or whatever, but sure enough, I'd find myself in the same boat again and again, night after night. This is what keto completely changed for me. I felt really satisfied with the dinner that I was eating. And I didn't want anything after dinner for the first time. My thoughts were no longer obsessed with food. Um, I was no longer totaling up calories in my head every (laughs) single day, really not being present with the people that I love. Like I was no longer afraid of food. I, I, I never again found myself the middle of the day feeling like Well, crap, I've eaten all my calories for today. Now, what the heck am I going to do? I'm either going to, you know, not eat for the rest of the day, or I'm going to feel like a total failure and just binge and who cares, you know? So that's what I mean when I say it gave me food freedom. Even once I reached my goal weight, which I I lost those 40 pounds plus another 10 within six months on keto. And I just knew I was going to eat this way forever because for me, it was about how I felt and it really became a form of self-care for me.
0: I can relate to so much of that. And I think people who call keto a cult and all this silliness and a fad diet, blah, obviously have never experienced food freedom because yes. you cannot have that eating a sad diet or the recommended amounts the six meals a day and the heavy carbs and and the the spikes and the crashes the spikes and the crashes hungry hangry ah mm-hmm. and deprived and ah it's just it's a mess and people don't understand that till they experience it and yes. there is nothing more amazing to me than that just when i looked at my husband and i said i feel euphoric Right. I I don't even know my shades of gray world is colorful. I I, it's so hard to describe until you feel it. So girl, I get it.
1: Totally. (laughs) And I had no idea what the scientific mechanism was that for. Like I just thought that it was kind of this magical experience. And over time, I, you know, of course I dove into all of the nerdy, you know, science behind keto and just kind of couldn't get enough of that world. Yep, yep, um, yep. <laughs> and the more that I learned, the more that I thought, I want to share this with other people, yes. but specifically other women who had been through a similar um, disordered relationship with food. It didn't take me very long until I had a dream in my heart that I wanted to be a weight loss coach, but I wanted to approach it like in an almost therapeutic way, like to bringing together a nutritionist and a therapist And creating a program that brings together the best of both worlds because I, you know, keto didn't change my mental baggage. You know, it's not, it doesn't do that for you, but it gave me the energy to finally deal with my mental baggage. I literally didn't have the mental capacity to do it prior to that because I was so depressed. I was so, um, my, I didn't even have the brain space. I was thinking about calories all the time. Like I didn't have <laughs> enough energy to, to think like, huh? Oh, maybe I should heal my disordered relationship with food. I didn't care. You know, I just wanted to lose weight. And so finally I did have the mental energy to be like, wow, you know, although I'm so happy that I've lost this weight. Like, this is so sad. Look at what I've been through in my life. Like I probably need some healing here. I probably have some beliefs that are still, you know, affecting me here. And so that was the journey of personal development that I started going through. And I wanted to just create a program to bring all of that together. I love that. And I could not agree with you more. And that's
0: kind of how I approach it as well. And I'm pretty sure we could be twinsies. (laughs) here. (laughs) Seriously. And I won't be the tall skinny one. So you're you're good with that. (laughs) Sounds good. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit. What exactly is a self-care coach before we get into the emotional eating? I just want to talk a little bit about that because I think it's very interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, I know that um, you're a life coach too. And so let's just talk about what a coach is. So a coach actually comes from the word stagecoach, which is like, you know, the Cinderella's pumpkin, like the stagecoach, it's a vehicle that moves you from point A to point B. A coach helps you move, is literally like a vehicle that helps you move from where you are to where you want to be. It's somebody that walks that journey with you and helps you get total clarity on where exactly am I going and how do I get there? What are the obstacles that's in my way? You know, they might be external obstacles or internal obstacles. So a coach is a person that walks that journey with you. And really the biggest part about a coach is that they're able to hold you in um, unconditional love or unconditional positive regard. They are a neutral presence um, that is able to reflect back the best of you. A mirror that always reflects back the best of you when you can't see it in yourself. They see your potential and they are just like so passionate about helping you fulfill your full potential. So they're like your biggest cheerleader. You know, Um, they'll, they'll be able to challenge certain things when you need that. Um, but mostly they're just there cheering you on. And so a coach could specialize in any kind of specific area. Um, so I am a weight loss coach, but I call myself a self-care keto coach, because I think that when people think about a weight loss coach, they might think of like Jillian Michael screaming at people on the biggest loser, you know, something yep. like that. Mm-hmm. We all have those hangups in our mind of like, Ooh, I don't think I, you know, want somebody like calling me on my crap and confronting me all the time. Like that's not really what it's about. Um, so I'm about approaching this journey of weight loss from a self-care mindset because weight loss can be a miserable experience or weight loss could actually be an enjoyable experience. So, and I've seen both. And so I want weight loss to actually be an enjoyable experience. I want it to feel like you're actually taking care of yourself because that's what you're doing. You're not restricting yourself. You're not punishing yourself. And honestly, sometimes what it is, you could be doing the exact same action, but if you have a different mindset about it, it, it's a completely different experience. It feels like taking something for yourself versus giving it to yourself. It feels like withholding something from yourself versus giving it to yourself. It feels like I have to do this versus I get to do this. So that's what I really specialize in is is helping women to feel like this actually is a journey of self-care.
0: That was so beautifully said. Oh my goodness. I love that. That will be a clip by the way. Thank you. (laughs) I absolutely love that. Okay. So you talk about self-care. How do you compare that uh, to self-soothing?
1: Yeah. So emotional eating is something that I have struggled with my entire life, even after keto. Um, And it's something that I see all of my clients struggle with because we're human to <laughs> to emotionally eat is to be human. And so yes, there is a difference between self-care and self-soothing. And so I think we get this confused a lot though, because, um, you know, whenever one of my clients deviates from her food plan, I like to ask, you know, well, what was the thought that you were having right before you ate that thing? And without fail, I'd say at least half the time, probably more, it's this very common thought, which is I deserve this. And so what do you deserve? You know, like, well, I deserve to feel good. Okay. Did you feel good? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For a second, I felt good. And then I felt way worse. Okay. So was that actually giving yourself something good or was it, you know, giving yourself something that actually wound up being more punishing, right? So emotional eating doesn't actually feel good. It just feels familiar. And so that's what we're doing when we are self soothing with food is we're trying to get back to a place of familiarity because our nervous system is in an unfamiliar place. It's in like a fight or flight, activated, stressed out response. Usually we have some kind of negative emotion or we're like, we're exhausted. We're angry. We're lonely. We're feeling guilty. We're feeling resentful. um, Whatever it is that we're feeling constantly. And we want to numb out from that negative emotion. And so We know that we don't deserve the way that we feel in that moment, like, and that's true. You don't deserve to feel like total crap. You deserve to feel good, but we're not actually then making ourselves feel good. We're just making ourselves return to what's familiar so that we can switch out of that negative state. So that's self-soothing. Self-care would actually be designing something that truly feels good. Self-care is um, not giving yourself a food that's going to create a temporary feeling of good and then feeling worse after it's designing a life that you don't actually feel the need to numb out from. Mm,
0: I love that. That, that is so dead on. And you know, that's what I deal with, with so much of my, my clients and I I approach it in a very similar way. See, I told you we're we're twins here. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Definitely have synergy. (laughs) Definitely. Okay. So what are some signs of emotional eating? Like if somebody is kind of like, No, I think I might be emotional eating. And is there a difference between emotional eating and an actual biological food addiction?
1: Definitely. Um, They can overlap for sure, because a lot of times we are experiencing a negative emotional state and we are experiencing a true physiological craving at the same time. And so it's very difficult to tell unless you can actually eliminate one. (laughs) And it's hard to eliminate the negative emotions. We're going to have negative emotions every single day of our lives. But what's cool about keto is you actually can eliminate the physiological cravings for sugar (laughs) by, um, you know, kind of cleansing your system of it. Basically, Mm -hmm. you have to go through a detox the same way that you would with an addiction to any other substance. Um, but you know, when you restrict carbohydrates, um, which are sugars, then eventually your body learns to no longer rely on them as an energy source and no longer are you running on sugar starch or glucose for fuel but your body is actually able able to run on a different fuel source which is fat So it's pretty cool that our bodies are able to do both of these things. It's definitely, you know, an evolutionary response, um, you know, in a food famine, you know, our bodies are able to actually burn our own stored body fat for fuel. Otherwise we would just die. So this is pretty cool that we're able, able to do this. Um, so yes, we're actually able to eliminate sugar out of our lives. And then we know for sure that it's not actually a physiological craving, but if you're feeling um, physical signs of um, a craving. It usually feels like you're feeling really tired. You're in a slump. Um, you're hangry, you know, you feel desperate is a, is a, um, very sure sign that you're having a physical craving. Um, and so you can just kind of notice that as soon as you, you know, have that you you feel kind of buzzy, you feel like an energy boost and then you'll feel it come back down again, and then your body will compel you again. So that's kind of like the physiological addiction cycle. Um, emotional eating, again, it's hard to separate unless you actually are able to eliminate the physiological cravings, but emotional eating, you'll still have the, the desire to emotionally eat, even after you get off sugar, like uh-huh. talk to anybody who's keto and say, uh-huh. do you emotionally eat? And they'll be like, oh, sure. You know, like a lot less than I uh-huh. used to, but I still feel like I want to emotionally eat from time to time. Um, it's usually that you you can notice afterwards if you take some time for reflection that you actually were experiencing a negative emotion and that you were trying to um, numb out from that emotion by using food as a self-soothing mechanism which is normal it's okay mm-hmm. to do that it's not wrong. It doesn't make you a weak person. It doesn't mean that you have any kind of a mental illness or anything like that. It's completely normal to want to self-soothe with food. We've been conditioned to do it our whole lives. (laughs) And so if we can stop judging ourselves for it and just realize, okay, this is actually, this has been serving me because sometimes our emotions um, are a little bit too difficult to deal with in the moment. Like that's why we are able to distract ourselves. You know, again, that's, That's a survival uh, tool as well. It's important that we have that ability. And so, yeah, we need to be able to set those emotions aside and then deal with them when we're actually able to. The problem is we just don't do that. We just eat more food and keep, keep put it over there, put it in that little box. And then I never have to deal with that, but we're creating a whole new type of suffering as a result.
0: Definitely. And so is this your belief that like past traumas, even if it's something little, like most people say, oh, get over it. It's not that big of a deal. Like, you know, oh, you were the fat twin. Do you believe that plays into this scenario?
1: For sure. I think that we all have some type of trauma in our lives, whether it's capital T, capital t trauma or lowercase T trauma. Um, we've all experienced painful situations in our lives that have created beliefs in our mind that are now holding us back. And so, yeah that's usually from a traumatizing event. Maybe it was one thing that happened. Maybe it was just one thing that your mom said to you one day, or the the big sister that you look up to or a teacher or whatever. And it just stuck with you forever. Like that is like a lowercase T trauma. And trauma is defined by, you know, the experience that you have surrounding it. Like some person might go through the exact same situation as you. It's not the circumstance that is traumatic. It's how your brain processed it and how your nervous system received it and how it's still continuing to impact you to this day. So yes, when we experience what would be like a trigger, a triggering event, something that reminds us of the past, and this isn't always conscious, our body notices it, our nervous system notices it before we consciously notice it, but it's bringing up, it's like, oh, this is like this, you know, like I feel the same way I felt when this happened. And so our bodies are trying to protect us Our nervous systems are trying to regulate and get back to that familiar state. And a very effective way of doing that is to eat something because, you know, it's, we have two um, nervous system states. We have, you know, the um, sympathetic, which is the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response. And then we have the parasympathetic, which is the rest and digest state. Think about that digest. So your body actually has to switch into this calmed down state to do the job of digestion. So that's why eating is a very, um, actually effective tool to help your body to calm down and to return to a state of familiarity. And you get what it is, your body is getting what it's looking for from doing
0: that. Interesting. I've never thought of it that way. Very interesting. Hmm.
1: Yeah. And, you know, when we
0: go back to this whole trauma thing, I've had so many people who say that they have been told, you know, that now it's time to just move on, get over it, Hmm. but it's not that easy. And if you're having all these issues, like you're having a hard time with the emotional eating, food addiction, whatever it might be, there's generally some kind of a root cause. And if that root cause is not confronted at some point, It doesn't really matter what you do because it's not going to last for long term until you come to terms with these things. And so, you know, for somebody to discredit that your trauma isn't worthwhile or isn't major enough to warrant going back and dealing with. Is, is to me just messed up. <laughs> yeah, and I've been seeing a lot of that lately. That's why I bring it up because I think it's really sad and people need to know that it's okay for to go and get some help. If you need to go find you a therapist willing to listen to you, or I mean, even if it is a family member or somebody who really will listen, um, is so important because it's just not okay to be told that, Oh, you're just ridiculous. You need to get over it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think what, what you're really pointing out here is that trauma, um, yeah, it does impact your nervous system, but it also impacts your beliefs, your beliefs about yourself and your beliefs about other people and the world around you. And so, you know, a lot of us, when we think about behavior change, like, let's say that we want to lose weight. So we're all just like an onion or we're, we're multi-layered. And so the outerm- outermost layer is our results. And so right below our results is our behavior. And so often we only stay at these two layers. I want different results. I want to be in a smaller body. I want to see a different number on the scale. I'm just going to change my behavior to influence my results. And that works, but only temporarily. And the reason for that is because we don't get down to the root issue. So underneath our behaviors are our thoughts and our feelings. And at the core of who we are is our beliefs. And so our beliefs about ourselves, about our parents, about relationships, about food, about the world around us, whether it's safe, whether it's unsafe, whatever it is, we have absorbed most of our beliefs in life between the ages of zero and seven. And so a traumatic experience is just one thing that can influence our beliefs. It might be, you know, like the things that you learned in church growing up or the things that you learned in school growing up, or it might be just what your family said. We're a family that does this. We don't cry. We don't, you know, boys don't cry or just Uh whatever it is. You just absorb all of these messages. And again, trauma is just one way that you absorb a message, but you internalize that you internalize those beliefs. And then they remain unconscious for the majority of the Mm -hmm. time, like 95% of all of our thoughts are totally unconscious. Like we don't realize that we're just thinking the same things that are just normal to us, but somebody else might be like, um, that's kind of messed up. (laughs) So what a coach does and what a good coach does is helps you to actually not just look at um, behavior and results, but go down to the core of like, what are the actual beliefs that are influencing your behavior? Because we're, if we just remain at the behavioral level, it, it doesn't last long-term because we're, have to, we're having to exert so much energy to go against our nature, right? That's yes. why it feels like it's so hard. We're, we're yes. quite tackling it. But if we actually go down to the level of our beliefs, we can rewire our brains and we can actually change our nature. We can change what comes naturally to us. It takes time. We have to rewire. It's like those, um, it, it's like um, tire treads in the snow, you know, like it's easier to just walk through or drive through where the treads already are. So that's what your brain's going to do, but it actually is possible to carve out a new path. And then the more you drive over it, the more you drive over it, like you'll actually, it'll become second nature. So we can change our beliefs. And that's what I try to help my clients to do so that it feels like a natural um, thing. It feels easy. It feels effortless. It feels like self-care.
0: Yes. And that is, again, something that I kind of implement in my coaching, because I think that is so incredibly important. And and there's so much more to it. It's not just about, oh, eat this way and everything's going to be great. Or just stop, you know, uh, when when you're sad, quit eating ice cream. Yeah. Okay. If it was that easy. Okay. Yeah. You know, wouldn't we all be thin and healthy, mm-hmm. but it doesn't quite work that way. There there's work to be done and it, it takes some unraveling to get all of this stuff happening and, and it's okay. It's okay. Right. I think people, you know, sometimes just feel either like they're broken
1: yeah.
0: or they just give up because they don't think they can. Sure. And yeah. you know, both of it is sad. And I was one of those people who I thought I was just broken. There was something just wrong with me. I was broken because no matter what I tried, I I achieved my goal, but -hmm. then I couldn't maintain that goal. So I must be broken or I'm not doing something right or, you know, whatever. And that's a sad place to be Mm -hmm. is to feel like you're broken because you're not broken. You just have some work to do (laughs) to kind of, you know, get to that core, but it's okay.
1: Yeah. I used to feel that way too. And like it, if you think about it, there were some beliefs that you must've held about yourself, like beyond just, you know, I'm broken. Like for me, somebody told me you just have a slow metabolism. What does that even mean? I didn't know what that (laughs) meant when I was seven years old. And somebody said that to me, but I internalized it and I thought something's wrong with me. Everybody else has a bad metabolism and I have a slow metabolism and that's a horrible thing. And I'm broken, you know? Um, or like, Just the jokes that, you know, your moms and your aunts might, your mom and your aunt might say like, oh, we're just big boned or we got junk in the trunk or thunder thighs or look around. This is what the women in our family look like. And then you do internalize that and you think I'll never look any different than everybody else in my family because of genetics. I learned about this in science class, you know, like, so we do have these actual beliefs that are actually holding us back. So when we have the thought of, should I eat that thing or should I not eat that thing? What's the point? you know, and, and the, what's the point is coming from the beliefs that you hold.
0: Absolutely. That is so well said. And so what would you sum it all up as being like the root of emotional eating? I think Mm. you've kind of gone over, but what would you really sum up to simplify it and say what you kind of feel is the underlying root issue?
1: Yeah. So uh, emotional eating, I think we need to think of that as a valid self soothing coping mechanism. And so it's not the problem. It's, it's the wrong solution, right? So the real problem though, is whatever it is that we're trying to soothe, which is an unmet need in our lives. And so we're trying to meet our own needs. We're trying, we're realizing like, This isn't right. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I shouldn't feel resentful every damn day. I shouldn't feel so angry all the time. Why do I always feel so guilty? And there's this part of you that knows that this isn't right. I'm not meant to feel this way every day. I'm not meant to be this exhausted every day. I need to do a better job at meeting my own needs. And so that takes a lot more energy to actually take some time to reflect on what that is and how you could proactively change your entire life. (laughs) It's much easier to just self-soothe and feel like, you know, you're doing a little something, it really is just a cheap substitute. The food is a cheap substitute for the real unmet need. You know, the real unmet need might be um, validation. It might be um, feeling a sense of love and belonging. It might be that you need some esteem, that you need some sense of purpose. Um, (laughs) It might be that you just need a break, you need a nap, you need somebody to check in on you. Like, (laughs) it could be be really anything. you know, you need somebody to say sorry to you. Like it, it could be really anything. And so, but there's a deeper emotional unmet need. Um, and a lot of times we're so completely out of touch with our own needs because we've been taught, particularly as women, that the best way to be a good wife and a mother is to be completely self-sacrificial just, you know, your needs don't matter to put other people above yourselves. And then this is really reinforced by a lot of like Judeo-Christian religious beliefs as well. And so, but it can have a really negative impact, which is that I don't matter at all. You know, my needs Uh don't matter at all. I don't even ever think about them. If somebody were to ask me, what do I need in this moment? I would be like, uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I literally don't know. And I ask my clients, like, what did you really need in that moment? And they say, I don't know. And I say, that's okay. It's because you've been taught your whole life to not even think about that question, but we can explore that together. So the root of emotional eating to answer your question is our unmet needs. And sometimes that can also be, you know, a need might be a boundary that you need to set up in your life that you're not doing. So we need a sense of safety and security and boundaries help us do that. So that's another type of need. So basically I find that we're usually either soothing an unmet need or an unset boundary.
0: That's beautifully said. That is beautifully said. And I think that's kind of goes back to like, what you're talking about is you putting yourself last. Yeah, it, It's like, you don't feel like you have any, I guess, value outside of what you do. Yeah. Like you don't take the time out for yourself. Yeah. And I know I was like that. Mm-hmm. My full focus was my kids, period. I was a stay-at-home mom. I even homeschooled my daughter. I mean, I, I did all the sporting stuff, you know, the gymnastics and the dance and blah, blah, blah. and it, it was just all about them. And it took a toll on me. Not that I would change anything. Don't get me wrong, except for the fact that I would, you know, put me in there somewhere. But I didn't feel like, I, I was like a, the vessel. I was the, mm-hmm. the mechanical doing everything. Yeah. I wasn't really this, uh, a person anymore. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, and that was the part of my life where I was really depressed, not because I resented, you know, what I did because I loved what I did. It wasn't mm-hmm. that, it was that I lost myself
1: yes. you
0: hear that, that, yes. that saying I lost myself. I did, I yeah. did, you know, and it took many, many years to get that back, but I got it, yeah. <laughs> you know. And and it does, and it is, it, it is true because at that point, I, I, I will tell you, I was an emotional eater. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I showed you the picture. Yeah, you can. It's pretty obvious yeah. there was something going on there. And it wasn't, all, it wasn't about genetics. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that was something I did to myself. But um, yeah, and I think that's really, really sad that that is almost like it's accepted yeah. and you don't talk about it. Yeah. And it's, it's not true. that anybody's being cruel or forcing you in that position or anything like that, but you feel that yourself because of your beliefs.
1: Beliefs. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it is kind of like a badge of honor though, too. Like yes. you know, whenever somebody yes. asks you how you're doing, you're like busy, you know, like as though busy is like the best thing that you could say. And everybody's like, Oh, me too. You know, like, and we just like, Praise One alcoholism <laughs> in our culture and being true. busy and everything. So yeah, it is kind of it does have like a, a certain positive reinforcement to it in our culture. And that's why we keep doing it.
0: Uh, very true. I yeah. see it all the time. Mm-hmm. I I lived it. So yeah, yeah, it's very true. Okay. So for those who do fit in that emotional eating category, which let's mm-hmm. face it, a, a large Percent of us do all of us, is just a matter of how often, right? Yeah. Right. Even I have times where I catch I catch myself. I don't okay. I don't do it, but I'm, I'm so far removed from that. But I still catch myself when I'm frustrated. Mm-hmm. It's like I've been hit with some trolls. I'm on just tell you, you know, on my YouTube and on my Instagram, and I'm like, <laughs> and it starts to. T- to mess with your head, you know, yeah. you're like, golly, what in the world, why? Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, you start getting that, ooh, ice cream sounds good, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's something I would just not do. And yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness I'm kind of past the point of giving in, mm-hmm. but for those who are not there, what are some steps that they can take to help with emotional eating?
1: Yes. Yeah. So like I told you, I still struggled with emotional eating. Even after I switched over to keto, what keto helped me to do was to change what I was eating when I was emotionally eating. Mm-hmm. So I was no longer emotionally eating bugles and Oreos, but I might've been emotionally eating nut butter, um, a whole quart of strawberries, um, maybe some keto products, things like that. Um, so that was a huge improvement and that's worth celebrating. So if that's you and you've gotten this far, like pat <laughs> yourself on the back because that is huge. At least, Um, you know, with the exception of the keto products, you know, like eating some nut butter or eating some strawberries or, um, you know, eating extra cheese or whatever it is, like you're eating past the point of feeling hungry. You're not hungry. You know, you're eating emotionally, but if you're at least eating food that has nutritional value and is some type of a blessing to your body, like that's a great first step, you know? So I would say, you know, that's a concrete thing to try to make that switch. Like, if you, if you know that you can't stop emotionally eating yet, at least just try to change what you're eating when you're emotionally eating. So you don't feel like hot garbage after you've emotionally eaten. That's only adding, you know, shame upon shame. Basically it's making it way worse and you feel physically awful and that's going to mess with your head, the gut brain connection, all of that. So, um, that's one concrete step, but what really changed things for me above and beyond, I, I changed what I was eating when I was emotionally eating. I made it that far, but I'm like, I'm still emotionally eating. Like literally every week, every Sunday afternoon, I had those Sunday series of like going back into the office. Like I wasn't really living the true life that I wanted to be living. And so, um, you know, I was numbing out from that every single Sunday afternoon. I was repeating the same thing. I was watching the same TV show by myself in my room saying, mommy needs a break. And I'm just going to go do this. And I'd eat the same certain foods over and over again, and then feel awful. Um, so I made a little vow with myself. Okay. Every time I emotionally eat, I am going to have a little meeting with myself and bust out my journal and I'm gonna reflect on this because I know that I just emotionally ate, I need to process through this um, because unless I get to the, the mental root of this, I'm going to keep repeating the same thing over and over again. So I came up with four questions that I would ask myself. and. Believe me, I, I did this check-in with myself every time I did it and it didn't stop it right away, but over time it actually did because you get sick of your own crap when you realize like, okay, now I actually see what the root of this is. Am I going to do something about this root problem or not? So here are the four questions that I asked myself. The first one was what emotion was I actually feeling that I was trying to soothe or numb out from? So was it anger um, resentment, frustration. A lot of times women have a hard time identifying with the word anger, but when I give them the spectrum of anger, they'll be like, Oh yeah, I was totally frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's anger. Then, then that's okay. <laughs> so, you know, were you feeling guilty? Were you feeling resentful? Were you feeling tired? Um, you know, whatever it might be. So what was the actual emotion that you were feeling? Um, that you were trying to soothe or numb out from. Number two, what did you actually need in that moment instead of substituting with food? So obviously if you were not truly hungry, then you were just using food as a substitute for something else that you really needed. So did you need validation? Did you need a hug? Did you need someone to listen to you? A nap, a vacation day, an extension on the deadline? Did you need to speak up for yourself? Did you need to say how you really felt? Did you just need to say no? So whatever it was that you actually needed in that moment, try to identify what would have actually solved the problem because food didn't solve the problem. So what did you actually need? And then how could you give yourself that? If you could travel back in time, what could you have actually done for yourself that would have actually met that need? So usually that involves like speaking up for ourselves in some way, shape or form and you know, even if you needed validation, you, you're probably going to, um, still be doing that victim thing and giving away your power. Like, but I just don't have anybody to give me validation. My husband, he just sucks at listening. He doesn't understand emotions or whatever. Like, okay. But again, the question is how could you give it to yourself? Could you validate yourself? Yeah. You could open up your journal and say, I feel awful. Well, it makes sense that you feel that way because this situation sucks. Anybody in your position would feel awful, you know, that's self-validation and you can give that to yourself. So, um, practice the affirmation i give myself what i need and just try to start telling yourself that over and over again like i can give myself what that what i need i can meet my needs because when we don't give things to ourselves out of that abundance mindset and out of that empowered mindset what we will do is we will take it for ourselves and that's what we're doing when we're emotionally eating we're saying i deserve this yes you do and i'm going to take it for myself and it has a totally different energy than actually being proactive and giving it to yourself by Identifying the unmet need and giving it to yourself proactively so you don't get yourself into the place where you're like, oh, take it for myself with food. So, the third thing is can I do anything to prevent feeling this way again? So, this is about detecting the similar patterns of emotions that we're always feeling. Oh, I felt angry. Well, okay. How often do you feel that way? Every damn day. (laughs) Okay. Well, what's causing that, you know, like, is it similar situations that are happening over and over again that are causing you to feel that way? So, you know, maybe you identify, like, every time I talk to my mom on the phone, I feel exhausted. Maybe every time, uh, and I emotionally eat because, you know, it's just so hard to listen to her vent all the time, whatever it is. Um, After every time I have my weekly check-in with my boss at work, um, I feel downtrodden. I feel like I'm never doing enough. I feel criticized. I feel like I'm not good enough. And then I emotionally eat. So trying to identify what those patterns are, and then you can actually kind of like kind of go on defense, like, and and like in a sports strategy, like, okay, like this person's always floating over right over here. Like, let me go into that zone and like block that zone. So like, we need to set up a boundary so that the same behavioral patterns are not happening over and over again. So maybe you don't have to answer the phone every single time. Maybe you can have a conversation with your boss, like, Hey, could we incorporate some positive feedback (laughs) into our meetings (laughs) instead of just, you know, what I'm doing wrong, like start to speak up for yourself and set those boundaries in your life. And then the last question. So again, the first one was what negative emotion was I trying, was I actually feeling and trying to self-soothe or numb out from number two, what did I actually really need in that moment? And how can I give that to myself? Number three, can I do anything to prevent feeling this way again, AKA what boundaries can I set? And number four is what can I do differently the next time I feel this way? So this is about making a plan for the next time that you do feel this negative emotion, what can you do differently? Because you will feel negative emotions again. You will feel like you want to emotionally eat again. It's just part of life. And so to have a plan of what you can do, and sometimes this looks like, um, expanding your toolkit for self-soothing, tools. So a lot of us, we don't have a very big toolkit for it. It's literally just eating um, or maybe calling somebody, like maybe you could think about that or like, should I take a bath? Like, but there are so many things that you can do, um, that probably won't sound as corny to you and maybe sound a little bit intriguing and you're interested in it, but you've just never put in the effort to learn more about it. So like meditation or breath work or, um, tapping emotional freedom technique, tapping, um, you know, sometimes even just doing something with your hands, like gardening or knitting, um, maybe it is calling a friend, taking a walk, um, turning on some music and singing, um, things that stimulate the vagus nerve. That's like the nerve that runs through the center of your body that actually helps you to switch states. So it sounds crazy, but singing actually stimulates the vagus nerve and it literally helps you to calm down. Dancing, anything that changes your physical state is going to help change your mental state. Um, gargling, like laughing really hard, even though, you know, like it's just watching a funny movie or turning on a comedy show or whatever. These are things that actually, um, do stimulate your vagus nerve and change your state other than just using food to change your state. Um, and then the last thing that I want to say about ways that you can change your state is you can still eat. Like if you um have tried all of these things and nothing is working, I've been there. I've done it where I'm just so upset about something, took the walk, didn't help, tried listening to music, didn't help. And my body is still saying to me, just eat, just eat, just eat. Well, okay, at least try to eat something that is going to bless your body. You like eat food that actually has nutritional value, avoid the gluten avoid the, the oils, avoid the processed food, all that crap, but eat something, you know, and, and your body will still switch states.
0: Very interesting. And you gave me some, some new material. Cause I apply a lot of what you said, but you gave me some new stuff to work with that. That's awesome. I love that. That was beautifully said. I absolutely love that. Let me, Ooh, okay. I can't tell what time it is. Okay. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, real quick, let's go over your guided mindset journal that you offer. Yeah.
1: yeah. Thank you so much for the reminder to talk about that. So that exercise that I just gave to everybody is one exercise in the book, and it's the four bounce back steps to emotional eating. So there's ten different mindset exercises in the book. So if you liked that exercise, um, you know there's nine more that are just like it. There's a lot of different tools that I include in there. Um, you know that that thing that you said, like, I felt like I lost myself. Um, I hear so many women say that. So some of the exercises are about actually getting in touch with who you are and celebrating that. So there's some fun personality assessments in there, um, how to realize what your strengths are, how to realize what your values are, and then to actually, how can you incorporate those into your weight loss goal and your health goals that you have for yourself? Um, there's um, an exercise on how do you actually rewire a belief? So we've been talking about like okay, we have these beliefs at the core of who we are and they are holding us back. So like, okay, now I know I have this belief it's I'm broken. What the heck do I do now? Well, I actually have an exercise on how you can change that belief. So it's a, it's a step-by-step guided process. And so there's a lot of great exercises in there that I have used with my clients over the last four years to help them successfully, not only reach their weight loss goals, but completely change their relationship with food, weight, body image, and their own self view you know, because like I said, it's not just about that number on the scale. It's about, again, no longer hiding out from your life, stepping into the fullness of who you are and having the confidence and energy to show up as the person that you want to be and fulfill all of the dreams that you have in your heart. So if you can change your beliefs, um, you know, and you're going to change your physical state so that you have the physical energy and you have the confidence, like that's everything that you need and your whole life will change. So if anybody's interested in getting this, um, again, it's called the Self Care Keto Guided Mindset Journal. And it's available on my website, which is the ketofit.com/slash journal. It is $39. It's an instant download. It is a printable um, PDF that you can use. And so It's designed that way. Instead of like a hardcover book that you can buy on Amazon, I purposely designed it this way so that you can use these exercises again and again and again. You don't just want to do that emotional eating exercise one time. You don't just want to do that rewiring beliefs exercise one time. Every time you realize something new that comes up, you can go print yourself a fresh copy, do it as a journal exercise. And so, yeah. And if anybody is like, okay, well, I just can't afford that right now. All right. I have payment plans available. Um, You know, you can pay that off in four payments of $9 and 75 cents with PayPal, or you could even pay it off over six months with PayPal credit because I wanted those payment plans to be available available to people so that, um, you know, if you're feeling it in your heart right now, like, oh, I think I need that tool. Like, don't let that hold you back. You can still get it today, even with a payment plan.
0: I love that. And I'm going to have that link below. So no, no, no worries. I, I will make sure it's a clickable link for you. And um, just do you have any parting words, any words of wisdom or advice or anything last minute?
1: Hmm. Well, it's coming to me just off the cuff. So here we go. Like you're not love alone. It. You're not crazy. You can change. You have agency and power over your life and you only have one life to live. There's this nurse, Bronnie Ware, and she wrote this book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. She was a hospice nurse. Mm -hmm. And the number one regret of all people on their deathbeds is I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself instead of pleasing other people. And so, for any of the women listening to this right now, like, it's not too late. It's never too late to change your life. It doesn't matter how old you are. I work with clients who are in their sixties and decide to go back to school and get a degree. Like, you know, it's never, ever too late to change. That's a lie. That's a limiting belief that somebody has told to you of like, Oh, there's this critical window in your life in which you must do this at this time in your life or whatever. Like, no, it's never too late to change. And you have the ability to make changes and influence your life. Um, the beliefs that you have, um, been operating with, you didn't choose them. And it's not your fault that you have them. Somebody gave those to you either explicitly or implicitly. It's not that they were meaning to harm you, but it happened and it has caused harm, you know, separate the intent from the impact, like recognize the impact, like, yeah, these things have impacted me for the worse, And I can actually consciously choose my beliefs. I can say, is this serving me or is this not serving me? And if it's not serving me, I can let it go. And I can actually change a new belief and I can rewire, rewire my brain and I can change my life.
0: That's beautiful. It's a great ending. Good one off the cuff there, girl, man. I, I'm always like, uh. <laughs> that was really <laughs> good. Like fire my bones. (laughs) I love it. Well, Jess, it has been a pleasure talking with you. I I think people are going to get so much out of this episode. I appreciate you. And hey, y'all, while you're here, subscribe to my channel. Go follow Jess. Go follow Jess and
1: have all your friends follow her. She is amazing. Yeah, thank you. I'm at the Keto Fit everywhere. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook and even LinkedIn at the Keto Fit.
0: Perfect. And I'll have it all below. So no worries. Anyway, well, thanks again, Jess. And you have a wonderful rest of your day.
1: Thank you. Bye.